Welcome to For The Win, the podcast that goes behind the scenes of the campaigns, people and strategies that changed Australia forever. I'm your host, Emily Mulligan. Today, we're talking consultation. Thrilling, hey? So many organisations and campaigns claim to speak for a community, so authentic consultations really matter. Paige Burton spoke to 53,000 young people in one year. Paige was 2017's Australian Youth Representative to the UN. She went to every electorate in every state and territory, and she went to thousands of schools. She asked 50,000 young people what they cared about and whether they felt represented by their political leaders. She crowdfunded the whole thing. She sent individual reports to every MP. She shared hundreds of stories of young people in their complexity. She saw schools with incredible facilities and schools that didn't have enough chairs. She did it all while managing chronic pain. Apologies for the extremely rustic background noise. I promise it goes away and I tried to edit it out as much as possible. So what do young people think? How do you run an authentic consultation? Paige Burton sat down with me to let me know. You can hire her and read more about the consultation in the podcast notes. So the role's been around since 1999 and people have done a different thing with it every year. Um, I really wanted to open it up and make it sort of uh, as broad and accessible as possible. Um, and I think, and sharing stories is really how I wanted to do that. So my whole theme was was centred around the idea of imagining young people in their complexity. So thinking about what society would look like if we imagine young people as being as complex as they are, what would it look like if we saw their opinions as a product of their values and experiences and not just of their age. So I went around asking the question, what do you wish the government knew and considered about you and your life when making policy? Um, and so that guided the overarching um, consultation, trying to like elicit those stories from young people, and I think it worked fairly well. Um, in the past, all of the media around the program has been focused on the person themselves, and, and it's all been framed around an amazing opportunity for that young person, which it absolutely is, but I wanted to flip that a little bit and make sure that we had you know, people who were involved in the consultation commenting in the media and their stories being front and centre because it really wasn't about me, it was about giving um, sort of voices to people who are typically not given space to do that. So that was my kind of overarching vision for the for the year. Absolutely. And some of the responses you got were pretty heartfelt, pretty impressive and really nuanced. Like people really delivered and you actually put up a lot of people's portraits and stories from all over Australia throughout the year to sort of showcase these um, young people. How did that go? Yeah, um, so I wanted to make a strong sort of visual brand and community online as well, and so the best way um, we decided to do that was kind of steal uh, Humans of New York style mm -hmm. portraits. Um, so I took about 3,000 portraits over the year. Uh, of different people sharing their stories, answering that question about, you know, their lives and what makes them think about the things they, they care about. Um, and it was, yeah, an amazing sort of response to that. People were commenting, saying, wow, this is exactly like me. I didn't know there was anyone else who had this experience. Or um, for people, some people, it was the first time they've told those stories. Um, and it was a really vulnerable sort of place for people to be in. And I think that we built a community around 
those stories that that was really supportive and and nice online. Like I I often said last year, like I can't believe that we've created this nice little pocket of the internet where people are generally really pleasant to each other um, about it. There were, you know, 50,000 stories that I got. I didn't share all of them. Some of them were too vulnerable. um, And some of them I felt like, you know, if a 14 year old tells you something, um, maybe they don't want that on the internet. And, And it's a lot of that kind of juggling, how do we, you know, share that that detail and that nuance and that passion and make sure that we're actually protecting the people um, who are sharing their stories? And that was a huge sort of tension. And I was really, really careful about it. And I think we found the balance pretty well. Um, but yeah, there were loads of stories that I would like to have shared. And I did share a few anonymously as well. Um, we just had to be really careful about protecting people who were being vulnerable and sharing those things too. Absolutely. And one thing that was really striking was just these portraits were actually really gorgeous. And it definitely helped that you're a fantastic photographer. Uh, and also that you'd done a bunch of governance work, you'd done data work, you knew how to design a report. Um, where did you get all these random skills? <laughs> uh, mostly from, like, telling my boss I could do stuff and then having to learn because I didn't know how to do things a few years ago. Um, but my background's in sort of non-profit campaigning and, and strategy and I now sort of work exclusively on messaging and, and comms. Um, so it was really... Like, I was really glad to have those skills and trying to build that online community. Um, in terms of designing reports, I just kind of told my boss a few years ago that, yeah, I could make the annual report because we had no money and then I had to teach myself Adobe InDesign. Um, but that came in handy this year because I really didn't have money to outsource that stuff. Um, photography is an old passion of mine um, that I got to pick up again and I really loved it. And I think I got better as I went throughout the year and I picked up more gear as well. In terms of crunching data, I am absolutely useless um, at Excel when I had a really good team and Mina, who was the my sort of manager, really did the hard yards on Excel. We ended up breaking a, a document in Google Docs because um, the limit is 2 million cells and, and we had reached 2 million cells. Uh, and so I didn't know how to fix any of those things, but I had a really good team of people who did know how to do that and I think we pulled it together really well. Absolutely. And you managed to get, I think, to every federal electorate. So every state, every to- territory, really, really you were able to travel really extensively. Uh, but you also had to crowdfund this project. Like, how did you juggle all of these things? <laughs> yeah, it was it was really stressful. I mean, it was a lot of administration that I kind of forgot about uh, when I was sort of applying for the role. But yeah, about in about March, um, we decided that I really wanted to get to every federal electorate so I could make a report for HMP with data from their electorate, which meant we had to get there and we had to have a significant amount of stuff from every place to make those reports count. Uh, and so, yeah, the role's unfunded, at least the consultation part anyway. Uh, and very quickly off the, off the, um, mark, we went out there and said, look, we want to get to communities that are constantly, uh, underrepresented in consultations like this. Um, it's really easy to go to inner city schools. It's really easy to go to private schools because they have space and time and money to do all those things. Um, but it's really, really difficult to get to regional areas, to get to, to schools that are low SES. Um, and so I put all the focus on making sure that we get to those places and, you know, we spend time in the Northern Territory and in far North Queensland and a bunch of different places. So, uh, yeah, we, we crowdfunded a lot of, uh, really like $10,000 at the beginning of the year. And I just bought flights and said, I'm going to spend a month in every state and territory. So I had that kind of basic thing covered. And then I went to a bunch of councils and said, look, I really want to come to your council. It's not somewhere people come anyway. Do you reckon we can work something out? So that, that ended up being good, but it was just a lot of managing 
um, sponsors and money and, and things like that. But ultimately, I think the community responded really well to trying to, to make sure that we meet those targets of representation. And I was really happy and super lucky that it worked out. Um, but it was done very cheaply. I mean, you were staying on people's couches. And... Yeah, I spent, I spent like, maybe... The longest I stayed in one place was three weeks, and that was, you know, not my house. So it was a bit stressful. I was, yeah, living on people's couches, staying in, like, random hotels, like, like above bars and stuff in regional Australia, and it was great fun, but, it was, yeah, it was very shoestring. Um, and so, Paige, you, you've been to hundreds and hundreds of schools. Uh, I guess... Australia is such a lucky country, they're all pretty much the same, right? Or... <laughs> yeah, you uh, you wish. Uh, I wish to. Um, no, that was the big thing for me. Like, I've always really cared about education policy and education funding, and I kind of thought, yeah, they'll, you know, we're in Australia, it's pretty good. And, you know, it is in some places, but some, some schools are just absolutely left behind, and it was heartbreaking to, to go from, you know, a very wealthy school to a totally underfunded school, um... Yeah, and, you know, in some regional areas, like, I was in schools that didn't have enough chairs for every classroom and they would, like, drag them between classes or, like, pull them from the hall. Um, you know, schools that didn't have heating in their classrooms, but it's, like, you know, regional Victoria in the middle of winter. Like, just absolutely shocking um, and devastating. I know probably a lot of people think that's, like, quite a naive, you know, take, but I think being there and seeing the huge amounts of inequality in the education system and even state by state was hugely eye-opening for me and I just, yeah, I think about it every day. Yeah, I mean, there must also be kind of a difference in expectations amongst those kids that, you know, the fancy Melbourne schools versus kids in the crappy Northern Territory schools, like... Or is it just... Yeah, I didn't realise... Um, you know, I went to a public school, but it was, you know, a very good public school. Um, but going to some of those schools, I didn't realise how much people internalised those feelings. Like, uh, schools in the Northern Territory where I would be talking to kids in maybe year eight, so what are they, 13, 14, um, who would say, look, like, you know, I'm probably going to be the ducks of our grade but who cares, the best person in the school has never done, you know, better than 90 or whatever. And, you know, I know that I go to the school and I get bonus points for going to another university interstate because I'm from this school. Um, and, you know, that those schemes are designed to kind of, you know, make that more equal playing field or whatever, but I didn't realise the extent to which they internalise, well, you know, me getting bonus credit for going to this school means that I am less good than other people. Um, and I really hadn't considered that. Um, so there was that kind of uh, element of people sort of already discounting themselves um, when they're in like 14 and they still have years and years left to go um, and then there's the schools where they're just not big enough to have any sort of diversity in subject choice like I went to schools where there were 11 people in year 12 and you know of course they all have to do the same subjects or they have to do them remotely and so the teachers try their best and the teachers are really good but you know if you have a particular interest in a subject and not everyone else does you can't run a subject with one kid so I think that was really confronting too and the way that that kind of makes people reevaluate what their lives are worth is just heartbreaking and it kept happening um and I found that really really difficult to deal with um yeah and I still think about it all the time that's really fun. Were you able to incorporate 
those stories into the reports that you sent back to MPs? Yes, um, those were really important for me, the education pieces, and um, I had a lot of meetings. I met with a lot of state ministers as well throughout the year um, talking about those sorts of education things. And the thing is, like, it, they're known. They're not actually surprising to people who work in them, those policy areas. And it's really, really difficult if you're in a community that has a 1,000 people, but, you know, only 200 of them are school-aged there's not a lot that can be done about those things and those communities are losing people. Um, one of the more common, the questions that I ask going into regional schools when I'm just kind of chatting was like, oh, so are you going to stay here? And, you know, the answer was either absolutely yes and I'm going to work on, you know, my family business, whether that's farming or, you know, the local store or whatever it was, or absolutely not, I need to go and go to uni somewhere else and get a job somewhere else. And there wasn't really a lot of, like, oh, but maybe I'll come back. Um, and people leaving those areas, and it's really sad and devastating for those communities, but you can understand why people are trying to go and do something else because there aren't jobs for them um, unless it's going into to what their family do. So I try to incorporate those stories, but, yeah, meeting with the education ministers and other state MPs, like, it, they know, and it's a really difficult thing to solve, and I have no idea how to fix it. But, yeah, I like to think that those stories made it into the report and the narrative as well. Yeah, and they got to everybody's local members. And I mean, I guess a big part of this consulting 50,000 people, it bears repeating, like 53,000 people's views were brought into your report and into your program. Um, and then you had to try and turn it into something powerful. Um, what was your thinking behind that? Yeah, um, I think a lot of the, the problem that I've sort of identified with the program in the past was that it felt really intangible to me. Um, you know, that I got to have this experience where I could go and meet all these things and collect all these stories and, you know, people share the most vulnerable sort of uh, things about themselves and then I get to go and talk to the UN and then I could go home and, you know, not forget that it happened, but, you know, if it if nothing else happened, then I had this experience and I was really wary about that and wanted to make sure that we could make it something uh, that connected young people in their communities to their you know people in power. I spent a lot of time writing grants for people um, for local councils and lobbying for things and trying to get a bit of funding where I could for whatever stuff that needed to happen in, in a bunch of different schools and, and some of those things did happen um, but ultimately I wanted to be able to say these reports are yours and they're not mine and I want you to go and take them to your local members and you to have a conversation with them about how power works and, and um, why your story matters and why uh, you need to, to engage with your local members and I think it's really easy to be disillusioned with politics as a young person um, and, and, and they absolutely are but that's a pretty boring take um, because we all know that. Um, but the other thing is we don't talk about how to engage with local members and we don't do that with young people as much as we could. We only do that when we need them. We only do that when there's an election or something else. Um, so I put a call out um, at the end of the year and said, look, do you want to sign up to have a meeting with your local member? I will arrange it for you. I will train you in how to do the meeting um, and you know, answer any questions you have and I will set up the thing and I will pay for you to go on a bus or however you want to get there. Um, and meet with your local member. So I had about 500 people sign up in about three days um, to do that, which meant that I had to make all the reports, um, which is a good incentive to do that, and then, you know, connect people to their local members. And I think we met with about 50 MPs um, towards the end of the year, which is good, and a few people went out uh, and did it themselves, so I made the sort of templates about how to write letters to your MPs and gave them that and ran a few sort of online training things and phone calls to make sure they could do that and felt comfortable doing it. Uh, and it was really lovely to see 
you know, people say, oh, look, I didn't know it was actually that easy to meet with my MP. Like, I could just call them. If And, and honestly, like, we're, they are pretty accessible here. Um, if you're not from an organisation, you're not lobbying. If you're just a, a local constituent, they have time set aside to do that. So it was really interesting to see young people take charge of those reports and take them forward. Um, but that was really powerful for me, I thought. At least it gave young people sort of sense of how to navigate that, that power. Um, and sharing those stories and we tried to get it so we had someone sort of primary school age high school age and someone studying or working uh, in a group and I thought that was interesting and and it went fairly well I think too. No that's amazing I mean a lot of much better funded organizations would love for that to be happening routinely so it's pretty amazing to pull that off. Um, You launched I think your main report at the ACOS conference, the Australian Council for Social Services, and you spoke at Progress. Um, was part of your audience for this work the NGO sector to sort of get them to pull their heads in a bit around the way they think about young people? Um, partially, a little bit. Uh, I mean, the NGO sector is my sector, so I like to think that sort of my people they're interested in what I was doing, and obviously they're working on a lot of the issues um, that, that young people care about. Um, so yes, and I did spend a bit of time in nonprofit conferences and, and, and trying to meet as many people um, that I could and share the stories there. Uh, I also partnered with a bunch of, of nonprofits at the beginning of the year um, because they have access to people and we wanted to meet as many people as possible. So I did a project with um, Save the Children, um, particularly in South Australia, with you know um, kids who have been in and out of foster homes and stuff like that. People who uh, we just don't have access to, who actually didn't want to be there um and that was really important as well i think it's really easy to you know do a survey and get people to sign up and you're going to get really skewed data by people who are really keen people like me in high school you know like really keen go and volunteer and whatever but i wanted those those younger people who were you know disaffected by the system and and actually you know it affects their day-to-day lives so those people who i don't want to be here at all were perfect like tell me why you don't want to be here and tell me like you know what is it about that 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 doesn't appeal to you was important. So I did partner with a bunch of nonprofits, and, and I was really glad to do that. Um, and then at the end of the year, I had trained a bunch of uh, young people in doing media um, and had kind of connected, you know, people who really cared about climate change to organisations working on climate change and people who cared about foreign aid to, to the people working on foreign aid lobbying. And so that was important to me. Um, again, it all came back to making it as tangible as possible um, because when people, you know, trust you with their story and their time and they're generous like that, I tried to kind of give back to them and make sure that they felt like they'd be connected. Um, but again, it was a lot of time investment to make sure that it wasn't just like, cool, you're going to ask them for donations or you're going to email them. Like, I wanted people to actually have conversations with those people who were willing to give up their time. So, yeah, a little bit, the, the audience was a little bit like that, um, but mostly because I think it was a mutually beneficial relationship rather than just, like, them hearing about the reports. Yeah, definitely. The other thing that was happening in 2017 was a little postal survey and a little um, national debate on marriage equality. And... That had to influence a lot of these conversations you were having with kids, right? Yeah, it really did. And it was really, it was a really difficult time um, for me during the year to, to have that happening in the background. And I absolutely would have been working on it if I wasn't doing this. Um, was just kind of hanging over me every single day. Um, and I was in far north Queensland when it really got going um, here and when that campaign really took off and that enroll to vote stuff was happening and it was 
drilling. It was just absolutely heartbreaking. Like, it, it was the biggest challenge for me for the year of trying to maintain that, like, sort of apolitical, uh, you know, position that the role has, and I think it's important to... to to have that neutrality, but also an issue that's so important to me and to obviously see people so uncomfortable about the conversations around it in classrooms, you know, kids who are obviously affected by it personally or, you know, their families or something, to see them in classrooms while other people were talking about, you know, the issue in the way that they were was so difficult and so hard. Um, and it did impact a lot of the reports and marriage equality was one of the top five issues raised in the reports, and the reports came out after the, the vote had happened, um, but I left them in there because it was really, like, a gauge of what happened throughout the year and how much uh, that sort of anxiety was was hanging over the consultation. Um, yeah, it was it was just it was just so hard being in Queensland um, during that and not being with my people or being able to do anything on it was really, really difficult. So net damaging... Oh, absolutely. I think it was terrible. I think we all knew that. Um, we knew that it would be, but yeah, like, uh, there was a point in time where my inbox, which had previously been very, you know, pleasant, um, had just probably five or 600 messages, like Facebook, uh, email, or like form on the website. It was just filled with people talking about the plebiscite. And so many of them were kids who were being like, I'm gay and my family don't know. And I don't know what to do. And, you know, everyone at school thinks, like, you know, I'm evil or, you know, morally corrupt or something. And, yeah, like, I'm not a counsellor and uh, I wasn't dealing with it super well myself. And to have, you know, so many people in really vulnerable circumstances sharing those stories was just like, okay, how do I connect people without making a big deal about it? And how do we support people through this? Because it was really, really damaging. Uh, And then on the flip side, people who thought that I had some kind of agenda um you know attacking me about it because i do a lot of enroll to vote stuff because i think it's important for young people to enroll to vote uh kind of coming in and yelling at me about that was really hard too so yeah i think net damaging me personally but also just yeah so many young people devastated by it yeah absolutely god just thinking about it is (sighs) yeah making me uncomfortable again so Paige, what do young people think (laughs) um what do what did your survey of the 50,000 young people show? Um, it showed that young people care about the same things that everyone else does, uh, that the Venn diagram of adult issues and youth issues is a circle, which is what I've been saying forever, but it was really nice to have that uh, like cemented in data. With two million cells. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Um, the top issue was uh, gender equality was the number one issue across the country, um, and I think... That makes sense, um, obviously, because it's an issue, but also because of the kind of conversations where we're at in the world, um, having a conversation about women and, and harassment um, and, you know, in the wake of Me Too and things sort of kicking off last year, I think that was a big, uh, important conversation. Um, but it was pretty devastating um, for that to be the number one issue, um, considering that the average age for the consultation was 16. Uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty grim. Um, and that was true of like, you know, split across genders as well. So that's interesting. Um, the second was housing affordability, (laughs) which I mean, speaks for itself, obviously more of an issue in the city, um, in city, in big cities, uh, climate change was number three, which again, is not surprising when you have organizations like the AYCC talking about this constantly. Um, and you know, young people are scared about the future. Uh, marriage quality is number four, which I mean, I'm interested to see what it would be now. Um, and healthcare was number five. So 
that kind of like it's not surprising to people who work on stuff is talking about mental health and all of those things and access to services but it wasn't just about mental health it was about people with chronic illness and people who aren't trust who don't trust doctors because they've been you know ignored for years um was a pretty big thing um th- those top five issues stop in australia they were the same uh, top five issues in every state and territory just in different orders except for tasmania and the northern territory where uh, housing affordability was subbed out for something else um, in the Northern Territories about drug and alcohol use, and in Tasmania it was animal welfare. Um, so, yeah, it, it's pretty consistent um, across all of the issues as well. I mean, ultimately, like the the thing to take away is young people have complex opinions about everything, um, but those five issues are very much you know adult issues. If we think about fourteen year olds who are you know worried about being able to buy a house or being able to live in the suburb they grew up in or whatever uh yeah i think that's kind of the best way to to summarize was there anything surprising in the data that when it came back um like i want to say no but that's probably not true um I think the the thing that surprised me a little bit, so I had, uh, there were sort of five things I was trying to get out of the data, which like broadly, uh, the first was about engagement. So can you name your local member of parliament? Can you, uh, you, you know, tell me, uh, sorry, do you feel like your opinions are representing government policy as a young person? Are you taking seriously those kinds of questions? Uh, also, like, do you read the news every day and where do you read the news? Um, the second was about, like, issues, which was, like, what do you think is the most important thing facing young people in your community? What about Australia? That kind of thing. Then we had just general issues of, like, what issues would you like the government to work on? Um, the fourth was stories, which we talk about a lot. And then the fifth was uh, about sort of learning and engagement. So are you interested in learning more about current events in school? Do you want to learn more about the UN? Are you interested in learning more about how the government makes decisions? Um, and so that, that was what the survey sort of got at. Um, I was surprised uh, by the, like, number of people who can name their local member of parliament. I think it's, like, 66% of young people, like, successfully name their local MP, which is bizarre and, like, I mean, it's great, but also does not line up with, like, essential polls of, like, the general population during election year. Um, but interestingly, the people who were, uh, in electorates where people could name their MP, they were more likely to feel like they weren't represented by that MP. So Mm. if you didn't like your MP, it's more likely you know who they are. Uh, and that kind of disapproval uh, ratio was really clear, um, in a lot of electorates where, you know, maybe 80% of people could name who they are, but 15% of them feel represented, um, by them. So I think that was surprising, um. In a nice way. Maybe not the disappointment, but the being able to name them. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you think about what our parliament looks like and the issues that they spend their time on versus what your report... Um, what the conclusions of your report. Um, so, if you don't mind me asking, Paige, I think you also you achieved this monumental consultation um you spoke to all these people you visited all these schools uh you went to every state and territory you um made sure a lot of mps and ministers heard from you but you also did all of this while managing chronic pain yourself like (laughs) how (laughs) 
Yeah, look, it wasn't the most sensible choice I've made um, to just pack up my life and not have a house for a year. I'll level with you. Um, I had been warned against doing it. Uh, I just thought that I would just push through and it would be fine, um, which was true for like two weeks, maybe <laughs> slightly less than that. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty hectic schedule. Like, I don't think people quite understand the extent to which you have to travel and be present and active, and that's very, very hard to do. Um in pain a lot. Uh, it's also really hard to be like emotionally available, uh, mm. and like be really present and engaged because you set the energy of the room. So in the afternoon, you know, maybe those consultations weren't as cheerful as they were in the morning. Um, but it was really important to like maintain that high energy and that uh, attention, um, all the time. And I was doing probably th- three or four consultations a day, I think. Um, sometimes slightly more, but we usually start about seven o'clock in the morning, finish about seven o'clock at night. And then I would go to wherever I was sleeping, which was usually a couch or a, the floor, uh, and, uh, do data entry for the surveys. Cause they're all done on paper because people didn't have the internet or computers. And I wanted them to do it when I was like, when we're in the room. Um, and so I was working probably 18 hours a day, I think, um, which was a lot. Uh, and at first, I thought I could just kind of push through, um, which I, I mean, I kept doing until about July, where I'd sort of hit a wall. Um, and I was really glad that I had somewhere soft to land in July. Um, a friend of mine who just said, look, you need to come up for air, and you can't keep doing this. And so I was glad that he said that and stayed there for a while. And I cancelled all my stuff um, for the next three weeks, which was absolutely heartbreaking in addition to being just in a lot of pain it was just like emotionally devastating to to not be able to do those ones in western australia um but i had a team of volunteers who ended up doing all those consultations for me so they still happened i just wasn't there unlike every other one where i was actually present in those schools physically um yeah it was it was really really hard i like i don't know now how i did it then and i think a lot of it was just I was really keen on the project and I really needed it to happen and I had a really good team of people around me to make it work and like Mina who was managing the program um, with me would just say look you can't do this today and you're not driving anywhere you need to stay somewhere I'm going to get volunteers to take over and go for you or I'm going to reschedule this school or we're going to do it on Skype or something and like having that was just so uh, invaluable and I don't know how I could have done it without him and without people uh, to call me out and say, look, you need to stop. And I'm so glad I did that in July. I'm so glad that, that Dave made me do that. Um, but yeah, it was really challenging. And I think it gave me, uh, but also I th- it gave a, a way into people to have conversations about it as well. Like there are a lot of young people who are just like, oh, I didn't know that I could do things like this. Or like, I have terrible experience with doctors and no one understands. And there was like that kind of element of, of, sharing uh which i don't know if i was ready for either um but yeah it it was really challenging and i don't think i could do it again the way that i did um like we were i had two three flights a week uh you know three or four schools a day like maybe 10 hours of driving between places uh yeah it was it was a bit much (laughs) yeah Mm. so Paige, people can hire you at the moment to do messaging if they're lucky, like in the conform and orderly queue. Is there anything else you'd like to to say to listeners of For the Win? Uh, look, you can hire me. That's true. I'm, 
I'm having fun doing that at the moment. Um, no, I think, like, check out the report. Um, mm. I will, I don't know, link it somewhere. I'm trying mm. to rebuild all the stuff. Um, and get in touch if you want to know more about young people. I've had a lot of uh, MPs kind of come back this year and ask more questions about the data and stuff, and I really, like, as much as it is more work, like, it was a lot of work and I want it to be used. Mm. Um, and so go and do that. But otherwise, thanks for listening. Young Australians are pretty good. Uh, listen to them more because uh, we they could probably fix everything real quick. So... <laughs> that's that's in hundred yeah. percent. Um, and I'll we'll put a link to your Twitter, etc., so people can follow you online. Cool. Thanks very much, Paige. Thank you. Thanks for listening to For the Win, the podcast that goes behind the scenes of the campaign strategies and people that have changed Australia forever. Share it with your mates and um, give us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Really appreciate it. And feel free to send me any recommendations for episodes that you'd like to hear. I'm Emily Mulligan. Speak to you soon.